In October 1995, what many people were calling the trial of the decade opened at Winchester Crown Court. Mother of eight, Rosemary West, was about to stand trial for the torture, mutilation and murder of ten girls and young women. Leo Goatley was her solicitor, and he had assembled a big-name defence team from London, consisting of Dick Ferguson, a QC with a formidable reputation, and an up-and-coming junior barrister. Why did you bring in big names from London? Uh, imagine that any defence QC worth his salt or her salt would have wanted a call from you. The reality was that the legal personnel in the case changed pretty dramatically and continuously. I mean, most people who started didn't finish, so I was probably unusual in that case. So I, I felt that if I was going to be involved in it, I needed to sort of go for someone with a high-profile name. And I actually sought out initially George Carmen, who said, yes, he'd definitely be interested, but he wouldn't be able to get to see Rose West until August. So I felt, well, no, that's not going to be too good. We need to sort of hit the ground running. I need to be able to tell Rose West who's going to be presenting her case in court. Then Dick Ferguson's name came up, and he was straight on board with it. And his clerk, Patrick Duane, recommended Sasha Wass, who was hands-on straight away as well. Rosemary West is being held in Winchester Prison for the duration of the trial at the city's Crown Court. Mrs West, whose husband Fred died in prison at the beginning of this year, faces ten charges of murder. Going into the trial, what were the major challenges? So we had Rose charged with ten murders, her husband's dead, dodged justice. You had survivors of abuse by the West who were lined up to give evidence. Rose's own mother lined up to give evidence against her, and yeah. also Anne-Marie West, Fred's daughter. The odds were stacked against the defence, it would seem, and there was also, from, in my opinion, Leo, just the, the common sense side of it. How could a couple live together in a house the size of Cromwell Street and there be nine bodies buried there and Rosemary not know about it? Well, I mean, there was always the counter-argument because Cromwell Street was a little house, but it wasn't just Rose West there. There were a lot of lodges there. So you could argue, well, if they didn't know about it, why should Rose? So there were these kind of corollary arguments, but it's certainly as far as the professional preparation, you know, the technical legal stuff, Dick Ferguson was enormously focused on the abusive process prejudicial press coverage and also the fact that so much of it was so long ago that it would have been it was impossible to give an alibi it would be not possible to say where someone was at a particular time you know and there was the, the severance issue about the similar fact evidence that it was being used in a rather cavalier way to cover victims that it didn't apply to and all those arguments had been put to Judge Mantel before the matter came to trial those are arguments you can always repeat time and time again. But then Judge Mantel said, no, no, I don't accept any of these arguments. It's going to trial and we're keeping all the counts on the indictment. 
But, of course, I think the strong point of the defence case was really Dick Ferguson's cross-examination of the witnesses. Was there a witness who you sensed Rose was particularly anxious about him or her giving evidence? I'm thinking in particular about her own mother. I remember her mother giving evidence, claiming that Rose had once told her, you don't know what Fred's capable of. Yeah, that's right. That went back to when Rose was 16 and had first got together with Fred. I think she was pregnant. And Fred was sitting in the car and came in and said, if you're not in that car in five minutes, there'll be another girl in your place. And she went out and got in the car and drove off with him. But that in itself didn't incriminate Rose West, did it? But you had other sort of dramas in the case. Very tragically, Anne-Marie Anne -Marie West collapsed mid-trial. The scandal of the appropriate adult who'd uh, sold her story to a tabloid newspaper. Yeah, I think with Anne-Marie, the court's admin slipped up because they arranged, in midstream of Anne-Marie's evidence, they arranged a visit to the scene of the crime at Cromwell Street. So it meant that Anne-Marie was twiddling her thumbs for an extra day. And I think that unhinged her, didn't it? Yeah, very sad situation. The prosecution, I always felt by Mr Leveson, who went on to become a very distinguished judge, was very low-key. It was, uh, when I was a young journalist at the time, didn't quite get it. I felt he missed a number of opportunities to uh, deliver killer blows. You know, a good prosecutor will present evidence in a fairly objective way. If a prosecutor seemed to be on a, a crusade, it doesn't always work out as well. I mean, I... You know, even in the sort of fairly mundane cases I would do, mainly in the magistrates, if you get a really hostile, aggressive prosecutor, at the end of the day you feel that they, they annoy people, they, they annoy the bench rather than, you know, a kind of forensic, objective, detached examination or cross-examination seems to work better. Dick Ferguson made the decision to call Rosemary West to give evidence, but what was the thinking behind that? Was there no choice but to do that? It was a bit of a dilemma. He did wonder what was to be gained. And we did ask Rose West on a number of occasions, did she want to give evidence? And she certainly clearly said that she did. And the reason I felt she needed to give evidence was that somehow she had to come up with an explanation. I thought this was absolutely crucial. There hadn't been this severance uh, I mean, that, that concerned Dick Ferguson and Sasha more than anything. They hadn't been able to sever the, the, the domestic killings. They're saying they weren't part of the system of fact evidence. But what I felt was significant and would impact on the jury, and I'm sure it did, was that Rose and Fred had given this account of Heather leaving the house and going away, and that they'd since spoke to her on the phone, they'd seen her, they'd given her money. All this stuff that was demonstrably completely untrue. And it was there, it was on the record, it was in the statements from 92, and then the garbled revisiting of that when they tried to explain that. It was such a hash, it so clearly demonstrated that Rose, as well as Fred, Rose was lying through her teeth about Heather. And unless that could be rectified, it would give the jury every right to infer that Rose West was deliberately lying about Heather's death because she was clearly involved in, in her killing. I remember the morning that we, the journalists and the wider public, were told that she was going to give evidence. And I remember Dick Ferguson 
introducing her as another victim of Cromwell Street. He uh, said that, or suggested she'd been involved in some sort of violent, controlling marriage, and she was another victim. On reflection, would you concede that was a bit over the top, or was that just par for the course for a defence QC? No, I think it was quite a clever entree by him. And as I recall, that jury at Winchester were well disposed to Rose West. It was her case to lose. I think she was a very bad witness. In what sense? She didn't stick to the script. I mean, her answer should have been brief, yes or no. Obviously, she was susceptible to cross-examination by Brian Leveson. She really let herself down. By trying to be clever, if she was asked a question, she would respond with a question, which is always bad. You always tell, and she would have been told. If someone asks you a question, you don't answer it with a question. It looks arrogant and defensive and as though you're not being straightforward. You know, because demeanor is everything in a courtroom. She came across as having attitude, and she was inconsistent. When it suited her, she didn't know anything or couldn't have known anything. When it suited her to give an explanation, she'd give an explanation. She could whimper or be angry. She lacked a certain amount of reality. And also, I think she'd been quite well fed on remand. And then she was dressed looking a bit like a witch. I mean, If she was a witch, she was wearing a crucifix every day, wasn't she? I remember it very clearly. Was that her decision or was she advised to wear one? Well... When you get religious people going around in prisons, they usually have these little plastic crucifixes. Anybody who shows an interest in going to the chapel or whatever, they'll be given one of those. And obviously Sister Paul at Puckle Church would have given her one and she'd held on to it. But I mean, there was a weird kind of religion thing with Fred and Rose West in their letters, uh, which I don't begin to understand, but... What do you mean? I mean? She hadn't found God. Was it an act? I mean, back in the early letters, there's talk of God. I, I, I think it was some kind of... Well, it could have been Satanism, couldn't it? Rosemary didn't make a good impression giving evidence in her defence. And then we had the spectacle of Fred to use a media phrase, coming back from the grave to give evidence as tape recordings from his police interviews were played out in court. He spoke in a very matter-of-fact way about his handiwork, i.e. the murders and then the disposal of the bodies. I felt so sorry for the victims' families that someone could talk in that way and clearly lie as well about his dealings with the victims. Yeah. There was a certain amount of choice about what was going to be played, and then that determined what would be played in rebuttal. You know, it was available to the defence to play his admissions, but then it was open to the prosecution to rebut that evidence, which they could do by live witnesses, which they did, including Janet Leach and the prison officer, but also playing sections of tapes. I think it was a matter for counsel to decide which tapes they wanted to play. And I'm not convinced the choice did us any favours, particularly in relation to, I believe, Lucy Partington. I think He used a phrase to describe it, and I'm not going to repeat it in this podcast because it's just so deeply offensive and yeah. clearly a lie. And also his recall of his dealings with Linda Goff. I, I met Linda Goff's parents and they were very decent people. To lose their daughter 
in the circumstances they did was bad enough and then to have to hear what Fred West had said in those tape-recorded interviews, it must, I just can't think of anything worse yeah. for them. It's still, I find it upsetting today on a, on a human level to think about it, actually. I feel that the choice of tapes, if there, were, if there was going to be this evidence from the grave that was clearly going to prompt evidence in rebuttal, the selection might have been a bit more cautious, uh, in my view. And, of course, there was a great drama about that because... As I recall, the evidence from the grave, I think it was just before a weekend, and then there was an adjournment. So there was a period of a day or two where, you know, the press were full of Fred talking from the grave and an exonerating Rose. But I knew full well that there was going to be the response to that, which would totally squash it. It was a high point that, didn't, that you knew was going to be totally deflated pretty quickly. The trial came to a dramatic end at lunchtime today, sending journalists scurrying to their phones. Going into verdicts, Leo, I imagine you didn't have much hope on a professional level, shall we say, that Rosemary Rest was going to be acquitted. I think my best bet at it was that, that she wouldn't be convicted on all of them. But in fact, as it turned out, the quickest verdicts were on the domestic ones, weren't they? And then all the others followed very quickly after that. The jury had come back into number three courtroom at Winchester Crown Court three times to deliver its verdicts. Rosemary Pauline West. On each of the ten counts of murder, the sentence is one of life imprisonment. If attention is paid to what I think, you will never be released. With those words, Mr Justice Mantell dispatched Rosemary West to prison. It was really strange for me. I'd spent 18 to 20 months working on the case and we had these momentous verdicts coming in the same week that Princess Diana did her extraordinary interview with the BBC's Panorama programme, in which she spoke of the three people in her marriage. That was hogging the headlines. Meanwhile, at Winchester Crown Court, a mother of eight was about to be convicted of ten sex and torture murders, the like of which our country had never seen before. It was really strange. Yet you're right. The jury convicted her fairly quickly of the murders of Charmaine and Heather and then the other verdicts came in a batch the following day. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I kind of thought that unless Rose West could have given some kind of sensible explanation for why she'd lied about Heather, that was going to be the start of a chain reaction and I think it pretty well was. She didn't show any emotions when those final verdicts came in at least in the dock, what was she like down in the cells afterwards? She was very, very distraught. I mean, Sasha was just ahead of me and put her arm around her, but she was whimpering and sobbing and cursing Fred West. And that was one of those few occasions where she was totally distraught during the whole thing. But I suppose after eight weeks or whatever it was, and the sheer enormity of it, it would get to anybody. Why did um, Sasha Ross put her arms around her? I suppose being professional. I mean, I didn't feel inclined. I think she was saying, you know... She's been convicted of ten murders of the most ghastly type. I know. Well, I think she was sort of saying, you know, there'll be an appeal. And Dick Ferguson was adamant that somehow that this wasn't the end, it was just the beginning, this was going to...
I mean, her, her subsequent appeal uh, didn't go anywhere, did it? With someone as experienced as Judge Mantel, whenever the appeal also challenges the judge's exercise of his discretion in summing up, that's always going to be a loser because judges of Mantel standing just they know to a T what they can and can't say. By the time she had been convicted, had privately your mind been made up that she was guilty as charged? Yeah. Let's say that she had been acquitted. Would that have been a great day for you? Um, no, I don't think it would have been. I think I'd have felt pretty flat, whatever the outcome, but no, but her, her acquittal would not have been a, a great day for me. Even professionally, had Rosemary been acquitted, you could have become the go-to lawyer for people with seemingly impossible cases. I had numerous people wanting me to do appeals on the most grotesque cases. I just felt, well, I just don't want to be doing this, you know. There were all sorts of people writing to me, wanting me to come and see them in prison. And I thought, well, no, I don't want to do this. People who are well-known? Yeah, yeah, there was a guy who drove around in an articulated lorry and had picked up and murdered some woman and kept her in the back of the freezer for weeks. And then and he wanted me to defend him. There were a, there were a few like that. There were some... There were a few weirdos, you know, they felt that I was the guy to... And I just thought, well, I, you know, if you're in a larger firm and you've got some kind of administrative machine, uh, then fine. But I, it wasn't something I wanted to get involved in. And in terms of Rose's guilt, was it the cumulative amount of evidence which made up your mind that she was guilty? And was it during the trial which you formed that opinion, or was it even before? When I read through the committal file, particularly what Anne-Marie had to say, what, she had to be involved. You know, that stuff was happening. They weren't making it up. I suppose if, if I had any reservation, it was whether, was it her that delivered the final blow? Because one, uh, one case, you need to mot, and the skull was crushed, wasn't it, by a heavy object, mm -hmm. which wasn't consistent with the others. In the same way that they think Shirley Robinson had, might have been scalped because there was no hair with the skull. Or they thought that Charmaine might have been dismembered in a different way. So there were these nuanced, grim details. But generally, Fred describes strangling. It may have been that Fred was the person who ultimately killed, but her involvement was well sufficient to to give her joint culpability. And I have to say, I, I suspect that if there was extreme violence, it was more likely to be Rose West. So if there was a hammer blow to a skull, that may have been Rose West. If there was a knife wound, that was probably Rose West because she was known to use a knife. I suppose, if anything, I might have wondered about what level of culpability Rose West had in actually killing. But as for her being involved in the whole complexion of the thing, I had no doubt. Now, you know, 25 years on, have you reflected further on who you think was the dominant person in that relationship? Was Rose born evil? Would she have killed without Fred or merely would she have been a very wicked mother? I think that she is a very inadequate person. 
I think that the kind of fantasy element of this sadism was in Fred West. He was a very sexually perverted person. But from what I've read, psychology and psychoanalysis, the damage done to Rose as a young child would have triggered in her a very violent reaction. If you've got someone in a fight-or-flight mode, the level of violence there can be far greater. I've always thought with Rose there was a certain... She was theatrical about sex, you know, in a way that was quite weird. And I think sex was a kind of currency for Rose West. But she came into her own when these sadistic fantasies of Fred's reached a certain pitch where it then unleashed a very extreme violence in Rose West that would have been at a pitch that is probably difficult to imagine. So I think that her violence emanated from a different kind of source to the sadistic violence of Fred West. and The combination was absolutely catastrophic and horrific for the victims. You've been very open today, Leo, about what it's like to defend someone like Rosemary West. Given what you just said about your feelings about her now and the weight of evidence against her, do you feel guilty in any way about being a party to her defence? Because, of course, by her pleading not guilty, witnesses had to give evidence, didn't they? I just wonder if you've ever reflected on that. I don't feel guilty about it because it would mean that I'd feel guilty about being a defence solicitor. If you phrase the question, if I had my choices again, would I opt to be a defence solicitor? Now, I might think about that. But given the fact that I'd made that choice to be a defence solicitor, I don't feel guilty about doing my job in any particular case. So it does come down to your professional obligations as a solicitor, doesn't it? And also the fact that everyone's entitled to a defence. That's what it boils down to, doesn't it? Otherwise, the whole system breaks down. You don't have a civilization. You actually create doubt because if there isn't due process, which requires someone to have a defense and their case to be put, if you don't have that, then apart from the fact that it leaves the system open to miscarriages of justice, it also leaves question marks over the, the true culpability of the guilty. And so civilization requires that um, uh, there is a proper defence, so there's no reason to feel guilty for fulfilling that function. Mm. And if you had your time again with this case, what would you do differently? Well, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And talking strictly professionally, I would have said to Rose in August of 92, you've been arrested on suspicion of being an accomplice in the abuse of your daughter by Fred. Don't say another word to the police from now on. Just go no comment. What would that have achieved? Well, that would have meant there would have been no problems about explaining where Heather was. If she'd gone no comment, then at that stage, there could have been absolutely no adverse inference from her um, remaining silent. If she'd been asked, where's Heather, and she'd gone no comment, it might have been extremely unsatisfactory, but it couldn't have been held against her in any way. So Rose West would never have got into the witness box. And basically, it would have been Dick Ferguson's skill in cross-examining these witnesses. And apart from that, saying, right, the prosecution say that she did this, you prove it. If that scenario had unfolded 
you'd have had a situation where she would have been acquitted. She might not have been acquitted mm. even then, but she'd have been better placed. But yeah, I suppose it might have improved her chances. That's why I say I'm talking strictly professionally. But I do wonder how many, how many solicitors would for one moment thought when someone's arrested as an accomplice to child abuse and they're asked how many children they've got, and their advice is to go no comment. I mean, it, it's it's in a parallel universe to advise that, isn't it? She's been in jail 27 years. I mean, I've written about her life in prison, listening to the archers, knitting, playing Monopoly. She enjoys the social life in prison. And as Linda Goff's mother, June Goff, told me all these years ago, she was concerned that Mrs Goff, that Rose wouldn't have to worry about heating bills about feeding herself, about mm. having to pay for a rent or a mortgage. You haven't spoken to her for a long time, have you? But is it your feeling that she enjoys life in prison, Leo, and that she's institutionalised? I'd say she's institutionalised. I don't know what sort of place she's at. She's got this friendly old vicar's wife here who comes to see her. I can't guess what she's like. I don't think she's in brilliant health. Rose West never appealed uh, against her sentence, and in July 1997, then Home Secretary Jack Straw gave her a whole life tariff, meaning she'd never be released. So it looks very likely she's going to die in prison, in which case, will she take her secrets to the grave? There's been a lot of speculation over the years, the last 25 years. Other victims whose graves have yet to be discovered and in your book, which gives a, a real insight into the case from a defence solicitor's perspective, you raise the possibility that Rose, even at the age of 14, newly in a relationship with Fred, might have been a party to the abduction and murder of a Gloucestershire teenager called Mary Bastome. Yeah, I, I believe but, that. I do believe that. Why is that? Because it's very significant because Mary's family have begged the authorities for years to try and bring them some sort of closure uh, over this case. Yeah, well, I think with the police, unless they've got some remains, makes it very difficult for them to do anything. I mean, the police did a very good, very thorough job in the West case. They can't generally be criticised, but I think from their point of view, certainly not a defence point of view, I think they slipped up. They were given a narrative by Fred and Rose about how they met that was... I mean, I don't think Brian Levinson quite believed it, because I think he might have used words like however they say they met. And anyway, it punctuates their life at a point where they got together. And to me, when I've read the various accounts of how they met, it sounds extremely contrived and artificial and just does not ring true that suddenly Fred West, because it was Rose West, he would embark on a kind of courtly gesture of doing things in the proper manner and asking her out and putting on his suit and going back the next day because she declined him. That just wasn't the way they functioned. And I have a clear recollection of Barbara Letts telling me that wasn't the way, you know, saying they say that's how they met, that wasn't how they met. They knew each other a long time before that. That was a sister, was it, uh, Barbara? She was married to Rose West's Wonderful. brother. And it was known that Rose was disengaged from school and truanting. And they'd gone feral. I mean, she would wander around the streets with her younger brothers because 
the old man would work at Smith's and then spend the time in the club drinking in the evening. And after years of being totally downtrodden, Rose's mum had um, got a job cleaning and spent a lot of hours out and about cleaning. And of course, Rena had disappeared off for weeks on end, either back to Scotland or with other blokes. And I just think that it's all, all the evidence is there glaring at the fact that Fred would have got to know Rose and taken her back to the caravan. And I, I suspect it would have been on one of those occasions that he'd have driven over to Gloucester with her one Jan- January 68 or whenever it was. That's right. So Mary Bastone, age 15, disappeared from a bus stop in Gloucester in 1968. Yeah. Uh, and Rose I... was 14 at the time. And I just feel the police, if they'd said, look, you're telling us this, if they challenged that in the right way, they might just have got something out of Fred. And they wouldn't necessarily have related the fact that that wasn't how they met to the fact that they then opened up this prospect that actually it means that if they were together earlier, then it might have just got Fred to admit, you know, to Mary Bastone. How certain are you that there are other victims whose identities or graves have yet to be uncovered? given the profiling, the gaps between uh, are not tenable. So I'm just going on what experts have said and kind of admissions Fred West has made. But I feel that if the door had been pushed a bit harder, there might have been a breakthrough there. In relation to the intensity of the killing spree of the West in the 1970s, from circa 1979-1980 through to... 94, when they were arrested and charged over the murders, there was only one abduction or one known abduction murder, Heather West, in the yeah. mid 80s. Why would they stop killing with such intensity during that period when they hadn't been stopped by the police? They must have thought they're above the law. That, for me, is very suspicious around yeah. the possibility of other victims. So you defended one of Britain's most notorious female killers, convicted of 10 murders. Myra Hindley, her erstwhile lover in prison, convicted of far less, but Myra Hindley still deemed by many people, certainly of a certain age, to be far worse and more evil, if that's possible, than Rose. What's your perspective on that as someone who's been closely involved in one of those individuals? I don't actually draw a distinction. I don't kind of reflect on it in that way. I know far less about Myra Hindley than I do about Rose West. These things are tremendously evil. Society has dealt with them as best as possible, and the perpetrators, um, well, in Hindley's case, until she died, served the rest of her life in prison, and that's what's happened to Rose West. Obviously, I've tried to rationalise how Rose West came to do what she did, it certainly doesn't pardon her or exonerate in any way, but mm-hmm. how could somebody be so damaged and disturbed that they could do such horrible things? And you'd have thought that that kind of luggage that Rose West had would be tortuous for her, and, and yet she seems oblivious to it. Will she ever confess, tell the truth about what happened and what the police don't know yet? Well, I think it's a possibility. I think if she... For example, if she had dementia and was disinhibited 
and still had long-term memories, she might just start trotting out all sorts of stuff that you think, my God. But, I mean, in terms of further charges or process, I don't suppose there'd be anything like that because of her mental state, but it would still be an interesting thing to, to know, wouldn't it? What is it with Rosemary, finally, that is stopping her from telling the truth? Is it the issue of control for her, or just she doesn't care? I don't think it's control in the way that control's described with, say, with Fred or some murderers. I think it's a complete denial. I think she's hived off, compartmentalised. She just won't go there. She actually believes in this nice person she presents as sweet old Rose. She's created this new other persona. It's all that foulness is somewhere buried in her mind and she's she's just locked the door and thrown the key away on it. So she doesn't look in the mirror and see a psychopath? No, I think she lacks insight. And obviously empathy. That's right, there would be no empathy. And you've got no doubt she is a psychopath? Yeah, unfortunately, what she did repeatedly, she must have derived something from it. Her fury, her temper, her vileness, it served some purpose for her. And then presumably she would go back to darning the kids' socks and getting the sandwiches ready for school the following day. I'm Stephen Wright, and you've been listening to a Mail Plus true crime podcast, Rose West Defending a Monster. With thanks to West's former defence solicitor, Leo Goatley, whose book, Understanding Fred and Rose West, is published by the Book Guild. <laughs>